0: The following is a production of the PTB Soccer Podcast Network, the Parking the Bus Soccer Podcast Network. The views expressed on the show are those of the host and solely of the host. For more information, follow the PTB Soccer Network on Instagram at PTBSoccer. That's on Instagram at PTBSoccer. Enjoy the show.
1: Coast to Coast Instrumentals.
0: What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of Mr. Portugal. That's right, Mr. Portugal. I am the Mr. Mike Agostinho, and I am back after over a year with another episode. That's right, the last time I came to you with Mr. Portugal. We won the UEFA Nations League in Porto. Then Mr. Fernando Santos dropped me from the squad over the past 13 months. But guess what? Someone got injured, and they needed a new podcaster, and I am back. That's right. I've been recalled into the squad, back into Mr. Portugal, just in time for this weekend's Euro 2020 final, Portugal and France, right? Wait a sec. What? The final's not this week? Oh. Yeah, you know I'm just kidding. We all know what's been going on in the world the last 3 months. There has been uh there's been this little this little virus that's gone around the world and it has thrown everything out of whack. And now we do not have Euro 2020. Yes, the final was supposed to be this weekend because do you all know what day today is? That's right. Today is July the 10th. That's right. 4 years ago today we were listening to this. <laughs> I'm sure everybody remembers exactly where they were four years ago today at that moment that moment when Eder, when everyone was saying no 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 so many people were saying no 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 even though you know it, he did everything right and um, you know he was criticized going into the tournament for having I believe never scored he had one he had one international goal before that but uh hey he stepped up in the biggest game of his life. The biggest moment of his career and buried that past Hugo Lloris. Four years ago today, my friends, we were crowned champions of Europe. And by the most unimaginable circumstances, we are going to stay champions of Europe for one more year at least. But um, perhaps, you know that open there. I predicted (laughs) perhaps I predicted the final next year already. Portugal and France again perhaps. We're in the same group. Could see where we both get out and find ourselves back in the final and have a rematch. Who knows? But what the what the project is now for Mr Benfica for, for the for the foreseeable future with the national team off until September. Um, it was announced last week that the UEFA Nations League would go on. In September, the schedule was released. Um, but until then, um, I started this project. How do we get to Ethers goal to winning the European Championship? Well, we got to go back. <laughs> and, you know, um, for those of you that follow follow me on Mr. Benfica on that podcast, you know how much I like to relive old Matches review old seasons, right? Well, I'm going to go right back into my wheelhouse and I am going to take everyone back to where it all started. All right, we're going to review the entire history of Portugal at the European Championships, okay, in every finals appearance, starting with today's episode, the first match, match day one of Euro 84 versus West Germany. So we're going to go from there until we get to the final against France, one match at a time, one show at a time. I'm hoping to complete this project before Portugal takes the pitch against who else? But I believe France is the first match. Who else but France in the UEFA Nations League as we begin to defend that title in September. I want to wish a special uh, hello to everybody listening on the Mr. Benfica feed. Um, You guys are my true few. You guys are my loyal listeners. And um, if you want to hear this episode ad free, Okay, if you're listening on Mr. Benfica and you want to hear this episode of Mr. Portugal ad free, switch over to the PTB Soccer Network. All right, wherever you get your podcast, just type in uh, PTB Soccer and it should come up. If, if you can't find it there, then go to www.anchor.fm forward slash PTB Soccer. All right, we'll be right back after this. All right, if you're listening on PTB Soccer, we'll be back. At the snap of a finger, if you're listening on Mr. Benfica, we got an ad. And on the other side, we'll be back to start this look at today's match. West Germany versus Portugal, Euro 84, match day one, here on Mr. Portugal. And welcome back to Mr. Portugal here on the PTB Soccer Network. And again... Hello also to everyone listening on the Mr. Benfica feed. Now, if you're not a Benfica fan, please do not shut off the podcast. Please do not delete it. This is Mr. Portugal, Mr. Portugal. And if you are a Portugal fan, then this is a podcast for you. I promise there will be no clubism in this podcast. There'll be no clubism. There'll be no bias. All right, I'm going (laughs) to... We're all... Portugal fans if you're listening to this podcast. And if you're not a Portugal fan but you want to learn about Portugal's national team, you've come to the right place. We're gonna we're gonna basically go from from A to Z in in the history of the Portuguese national team as far as the European championships are concerned. But before we get to the football, let's just set some context because we are going back in time. We're stepping into DeLorean and we are going back to 1984 we're going back 36 years that's right 36 years had to think about that for a minute I think I was one year old when uh, this tournament was played and in 1984 it, Portugal was a tough place to be so it, there were some real tough times in Portugal in in the in the mid 80s all right Portugal at this time is ten years on from the Carnation Revolution. Okay, Portugal found out. ten okay, in those ten years, they're not they were not very good at democracy. They had multiple governments in and out, multiple uh, you know elections, multiple constitutions, and um, they were still figuring that whole thing out. On top of that, there was great austerity uh, on on the nation, and times were tough. Wallets were light. Um, the belts had to be tightened as everyone had to make do with less also in 1984 portugal lost two of their brightest okay two of their they lost a poet and a singer two brilliant artists um in 1984 poet Ari Dusantz passed away from cirrhosis. He was he was known as the poet of the revolution, and um, he was a long time uh, a long time opponent of the regime during the Stade Novo. And this is not going to get into a political podcast. Uh, this is just me setting setting the the story and the the setting that that we're going to be in and the backdrop for this football team and this football tournament that took place. Also, the day before the match we're talking about today, the day before, June the 12th. uh, No, sorry, June the 13th, I believe. Let me double check. Yes, June the 12th. June the 12th, 1984, the world lost Portuguese uh, rock singer, artist Antonio Varia Songe. Okay. He died of complications of pneumonia and of breathing complications, we now are pretty sure that António Verde Assange was the first Portuguese, the first famous Portuguese person to, to die of AIDS. We be, it is believed now that, that he had AIDS. It was believed then as well, but it never been confirmed by doctors or by family, but it is presumed that he passed of AIDS. His agent did admit after his death that he had gone to the United States to have tests and he did test HIV positive. Um, also in 1984 uh, Portugal was rocked by the Dona Branca scandal okay so this was a scandal um, that cost a lot of Portuguese people especially elderly um, older people near retirement people their life savings Dona Branca was a banker she was known as the people's banker who a banquera do povo, as they called her. Well, her bank was a was a giant Ponzi scheme, and um, it's a scheme that it perceived to be it was perceived to be legitimate, and a lot of people were putting their life savings in it because the banks were, were not doing well, and her bank was her quote unquote bank, and um, well, she was taken in, and she was in 1984 arrested for for forgery and fraud and sentenced to 10 years in prison. She would pass away in prison in 1992. And um, a lot of those people lost that money and did not get it back. Um, Also, there's problems with the national team behind the scenes. Okay, so we're going to move into football. And there are problems with the national team going on behind the scenes. And what that means, well, it starts, we're going to go through here, and we're going to go through the the quickly through the qualifying campaign. But before we do that, I'll give you a quick history of Portugal in the European Champions before the European Championships. Excuse me, before 1984, in the very first edition of the European Championships, the first one organized by UEFA 60 years ago this year, 1960, organized in France, um, in the same the same country where the European Cup we're going to talk about, the European Championship we're going to talk about today, and the European Championship we won, we're set in. So, in 1960 was the first European Championship. Now, in the beginning, the European Championship was a lot like today's UEFA Nations League. You played qualifying matches, and then you had a Final Four, just like in the Nations League. So, in in 1960, Portugal actually reached the round of eight okay um they came out it was a knockout tournament that year actually there was not groups it was a knockout tournament um two legs portugal advanced to the last eight before being eliminated by uh, by the soviet union i want to say i'm gonna double check that right now just to make sure that it i give you the truth and they would be they would advance from the round of six the preliminary round was Ireland versus Czechoslovakia. And Czechoslovakia advanced 4-2 on aggregate. Then there were 16 nations in this first edition. So a lot of nations didn't even take part. It wasn't taken serious by a lot of people. And it was actually called the European Nations Cup back then. Just like now it's called the the UEFA Nations League. So we reached the round of 16. Or we started in the round of 16. Portugal drew East Germany. And they won the first leg 2-0. And... Went to East Germany and won 3-2 to two to win the tie. Five goals to two on aggregate. They advanced to the quarterfinal, and it was Yugoslavia that they found themselves up against. And um, Portugal would win the first game at home at the National Stadium at the Jamur, 2-1. to one, But then would travel. To Belgrade and lose five one in the former Yugoslavia, and would be eliminated there. So I stand corrected. It was not the Soviet Union; it was Yugoslavia that eliminated Portugal from the very first edition of the tournament in 1964. Portugal had one win and two losses. Um, as I pull that up real quickly, the qualifying Portugal would play. They would. They would win the round against Bulgaria, okay, so, f- sorry, they were eliminated by Bulgaria in the first round, 5-4. So what happened was Portugal lost the first game in Bulgaria, 3-1, to returned home, and won 3-1, to causing a third game. In those days, they went to the third match, and they lost that third match, 1-0 to Bulgaria, and were eliminated. Uh, in 1968, Portugal also failed to qualify, as they did in 72, 76, and 80, so 1984, Portugal finally qualifies for this European Championship. Um, this is the first time at a major tournament now since Portugal was at the World Cup in '66, where 18 years removed from World Cup '66, in the brilliance of Ozébu scoring nine goals in six matches. And let's quickly go over the qualifying group that led Portugal to this. Euro 84. Now, also, you, the European Championships had changed their format. Four years earlier, in 1980, the Euro, UEFA went from a four-team uh, final stage to an eight-team final stage. And in 1980, there were two groups of four and the two first-place teams advanced to the final. Um, in 1984, UEFA made a change. They kept the eight teams. It was still an eight-team final, but you had two groups, and the top two in each group would advance to a semifinal, and then you would have a final. So, this is the first tournament under um, under this format. And Portugal would be qualify. Were drawn into qualifying group two alongside the Soviet Union, Poland, and Finland. Portugal got their qualifying underway on the twenty second of September nineteen eighty two in Helsinki, Finland, winning two nil with goals from Nene and Oliveira. They next played home at the Stadio de Luge against Poland, winning two to one goal from from Nene and Fernando Gomes. And then came the disaster. So on April the 27th, 1983, Portugal traveled to Moscow in the central Lenin Stadium, today known as the Luzinski Stadium, um, that just hosted the World Cup final back in 2018. Portugal traveled there to face the Soviet Union and were battered 5-0. When when Portugal was battered 5-0, this is where the, the drama begins. So... Um, there's an article on 00.pt that explains it here it's called Os Quatro treinadores de Portugal no Euro 84 or the four coaches for Portugal at Euro 84 that's right Portugal goes into this tournament with a manager by committee so after they were hu- humiliated 5-0 in Moscow and a, a bunch of different situations were were um were just made non not possible um and otto gloria who who had actually been a, a coach for portugal in 66 decided to to step down and he returned home to brazil leaving portugal without a, a coach without a manager for the rest of the qualifying round in route to euro 84 and it was very very complicated and the federation in Again, I'm going to go back to my Mr. Benfica podcast. Not because this is this is going to be a pro Benfica statement, but there was a story when I did episodes 56 through 59 reviewing the 1982-83 season, I went over just what kind of mess the FPF, the Portuguese Federation FA was at this time. And this was maybe the most ridiculous decision they ever came up with. So, what they did is that they took the assistant coaches that already were part of Otto Gloria's staff, the four of them. Okay, so you had Fernando Cabrita, Tony from Benfica, Antonio Moraes, who was on the staff at Porto, and then former Benfica player José Auguste, who was not at that time under contract to any club, and they named them all four quad coaches. Now, on paper, Fernando Cabrita was the manager. Okay? however you had tony and you had antonio Moraes, okay both assistants at their clubs and assistants with the national team which I, the, the thought of of coaches and managers managing and coaching a club and a national team at the same time is just impossible in today's world but there were much fewer international games back then so it, it was actually somewhat more common so what the federation did was put all four guys in charge and it was a disaster it was behind the scenes the the, the public didn't really have any idea of this okay but what would happen, and players would tell stories of this later, is before matches, the the team, the squad, the 11, was never decided until right before the match. And it was always decided with a shouting match between the four coaches. And it, it's just a horrible setup, and it's amazing Portugal manages to qualify because then in September of 1983, okay, September, so you go from, from April to September, you go in five months into the future, in Stadio José Valad in Lisbon, the home of Sporting, po- Portugal debuts in an official match with this four man coaching staff, all equal apparently, and Portugal batters Finland 5 0. Fortunately for Portugal, it was Finland that was their first. Goals from Rui Jordão, Carlos Manuel, an own goal from Finnish player Ika Leinen, uh, José Luiz, and Oliveira. Antonio Oliveira, that is, uh, who would later be a national team manager, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about him in the coming months. Um, he they would score, and it would be a five-nil thrashing in front of a mere fifteen-one-five 15, thousand people at José Alvalade. Um, then, in October 28, nineteen eighty-three, Portugal travels to Poland and pulls off a decisive victory in in Warsaw. In the Olympic Stadium on a goal from Carlos Manuel. It was a 1-0. And then the, the the match that qualifies them Because in the, these days only first place advances. And I actually watched this match in preparation f- for doing this podcast. And um, it was Rui Jordão in the 44th minute at the Stadio de Luz. In front of 75,000. That would score the goal for Portugal. That would put them through. Uh, Portugal would beat the Soviet Union 1-0. Win the group in advance to Euro 82. So now that the stage is set, now that the setting is in place, and you understand the type of circus that is going on behind the scenes, let's get in to the football. Let's get ready for match day one. West Germany. That's right, not Germany. West Germany. Just a reminder and a nostalgic trip into the past, into a different world in 1984. West Germany versus Portugal. And you hear the sound of Eurovision's anthem there. That is a classical piece of music known as Te Deum. Classical music that was written. It's believed to have been written back in 347 AD. It goes all the way back. And um, it is the anthem of Eurovision. And you're also going to hear in a moment, if you haven't already, the lead in the intro for Euro 84. That is the Euro 84 anthem. And you don't get much more 80s than this. It is pretty fantastic. Pretty awesome. All right. So we are at Euro 1984. Portugal are drawn into Group 2 of Euro 84. So here are the groups in Euro 84. Group 1, the hosts, France, are joined by Denmark, Belgium, and Yugoslavia. Group 2, Spain, are joined by the defending champions West Germany and debutants Portugal and Romania, both playing in their first European Championships. Romania, this is the beginning of a fantastic decade for them that would culminate at the USA 94 World Cup. Um, Huge, huge growth in Romanian football between 1984 and 1994. And um, as we are in the early stages of the end of the Eastern Bloc, but uh, Romania, you know, would survive that. They would survive revolution and move into democracy and move away from from being sp- supported by the state, the federation began to survive on its own with that move away from the Eastern Bloc later in the decade. But here here in 1984, Romania is a complete unknown. They're behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, the teams in Western Europe, they don't know much about the players in Romania and vice versa because of the way the world was in 1984 in the midst of the Cold War, even though we're getting to the very tail end of it. That was the reality of the world that we were, lived in, we were living in at that time. So, we move into match day one, and it is Wednesday, June the thirteenth, nineteen eighty four. We are in the city of Strasbourg at the Stade de la Mignon, and Strasbourg. If you're not familiar with with French geography, if you can't tell by the name of the city, Strasbourg, it is literally on the German border, the border with the then West Germany. It is part of the historic uh, province of Alsace which was fought over in World War 2. So this was originally part of Germany that was that was annexed a- as part of the agreement of World War 2 and became part of France later and that that territory of Alsace and Lorraine that was uh, very heavily disputed in World War 2 between the French and the Germans. All right, we see the we see the two anthems, so they come out. This is practically a home match, like we said, for the West Germans, as you can hear the fans singing along to their anthem. But the Portuguese fans can also be heard singing a Portuguesa. The attendance on the day in the Stade de la Magno is 44,707. And now we see both teams take their pre-match photo Portugal are playing in their red tops with green shorts and red socks—a classic Portugal look, the one I grew up with for sure. And West Germany are in their even more classic white tops with black Adidas stripes down the shoulders, black socks, black shorts, excuse me, and white socks. The referee for this match is Romulad Zhushka of the Soviet Union. Yes, not Russia, the Soviet Union. This is cool. This is a nostalgic thing because in this competition, there are countries that no longer exist. There's the Soviet Union, West Germany, and Yugoslavia. These are three nations that no longer exist, but in 1984, these were three. These were three good, well-playing, um, footballing nations. And while I, si- I misspoke there, the Soviet Union was not in the tournament, but this referee is from the Soviet Union. And you wonder, was he going to harbor any hard feelings over Portugal, eliminating the Soviet Union and qualifying? West Germany is managed by Joep Durval. The West Germans qualified as winners of Group 6 ahead of Northern Ireland, Austria, Turkey, and Albania winning 5 matches, drawing 1 and losing 2. They finished level on 11 points with Northern Ireland, but the West Germans had a far superior goal difference as they finished the qualifying campaign with a plus 10 goal difference to Northern Ireland's plus 3. The West Germans are also the defending champions. They were the winners of Euro 80 That was played in Italy four years earlier. And they're also fresh off a World Cup final. They had reached the final of the World Cup in 1982 at the Santiago Bernabeu before losing to Italy. And just to give you some context as to how good this West German side was, two years after this, they'd be in the World Cup final again in Mexico 86 and in Italia 90. They would win the World Cup. Okay, so this is a very good West German side, and it is the beginning of a very strong generation, and um, it's also it's a nice it's a nice transitional period actually for West Germany, where you have some of the stars of of the the late '70s kind of working their way out. Schumacher, the goalkeeper, um, the captain Karl Heinz uh, Rummenigge are still in their they're still in their prime but now you're introducing names that will become very well known in the next decade like uh, for example Lothar Mateos and Rudy Voller are making their way into the team and now we see referee Jusca with the two captains it's Romanega and Portugal's Manuel Bento the goalkeeper and Portugal would line up with this 11 we'll we'll read off Portugal's 11 first beginning with the keeper and captain, Bento. The right back is João Pinto. The center backs are Lima, Pereira, and Uriku. The left back is Álvaro. And then five in midfield for this match. So you had Carlos Manuel Souza, Jain Pacheco, Frasco, and Shalana playing in midfield with Rui Jordão as the lone striker. West Germany would line up with Harold Schumacher in goal, the legendary goalkeeper. Uh, Karl Heinz Forster, Bernard Forster, Andreas Brema, Guido uh, Buchwald, Hans Peter Briegel, Wolfgang Rolf, sorry, Wolfgang Rolf, Uli Stelek, Klaus Auloff, Rudy Voller, and Karl Heinz Rumenega. And we will get the match underway. And in the fourth minute, it is Shalana down the left as he will cut back. And he finds Souza with a square ball. But the Germans close down the Porto man really quickly. And they are able to win the ball back at the top of the penalty area before the Portuguese midfielder can get a shot off. And... 6 minutes in it becomes it becomes clear Portugal are playing with a lone striker making it difficult to get the ball forward past the German press and they and Portugal are allowing Germany too much territory with a very low block and a low line of confrontation and Bento is called into his first save of the match stopping Klaus Alofs in the sixth minute, in the tenth minute, though Portugal are able to finally play out, and they get an attack down the right, the right-hand side through combination play of João Pinto and Fresco, and as the Porto, the Porto uh, legend eventually links up with Jordão, and find him in the attack but the sporting striker is surrounded by West Germans and he's lacking support and he is dispossessed at the edge of the attacking third. In the 13th minute the referee calls Carlos Manuel for a foul on Briegel. Ensuing free kick however would be blocked by João Pinto. That is João Pinto of Porto of course the long time. Long time number two for Porto he was very young here, uh, still a very young defender at this time, but already a mainstay in the national team. We move forward to the fifteenth, and it is Rumenager with a with a cross from the left. It's cleared by Alvaro, but Voller's effort from the edge of the box, from the edge of the penalty area, excuse me, is wide to Bento's left. As after the ball is cleared, it finds its way to Rudy Voller and. Voller would have a, a go at goal, but it would go wide to bentos left, 17th minute, and it's Voller again with an ugly sliding tackle. This time, as he takes down Alvaro, the referee keeps the card in his pocket, and the Benfica left back is is carried off to get some treatment. Well, well, excuse me, Portugal temporarily play with ten. I do apologize for that slip up there. <laughs> I'm so used to saying it, I know. But Portugal are playing with 10 temporarily while while Alvaro gets treatment. We're in the 21st, and it is Shalana now dropping into a more central role. This was a nice bit, it's a nice phase of the match here, a nice little bit of time here for Shalana when he drops into the middle. And he starts to distribute the ball and just spray it to his teammates. And he's starting to open up the Germans by doing that. And here in the 21st minute, he is distributing with the outside of his left foot. He bends the ball beautifully into space for a running Alvaro who's on, who's on the left flank. But he takes too long with the ball at his feet and can't get the cross off before he is closed down by Bernard Folster. Shalana again two minutes later from a central position. finds the chest of Rui Jordão And Jordão with his back to goal, plays square to Jean Pacheco from 22 meters and his first time shot requires a diving save from Schumacher. Portugal starting to come alive and it's you can see here that Portugal is starting to find their footing in the match and Carlos Manuel is starting to get into the higher positions and starting to provide much needed sport support, excuse me, to Jordão. In the 28th minute, it is Buchwald down the left. He swings in a dangerous cross. Rudy Voller with the diving header. It connects, but it is not clean enough, and the ball goes wide. We're in the 32nd, and it's Carlos Manuel again, and now he's getting getting himself into the match as he gets behind the back line, and he tries to flick the ball over an on-running Schumacher, the goalkeeper coming out. Carlos Manuel trying to flip the ball up and over him, and there is a collision, and there is no call from the Soviet referee. And I noticed watching this that, <laughs> aside from the fact that there are no graphics on the screen and that I had to time this match on my wristwatch because you never see a clock in this in this video. The link to this video, of course, is is in the show notes. Um, if there had been a such thing as a VAR in nineteen eighty four, Portugal would have had a penalty kick on this play. You can clearly see that that Schumacher makes contact with Carlos Manuel's legs while the ball is in the air and uh, the referee did not call it. The referees didn't call much in these days. I did notice that when I when I watch games from this time, from this these early eighties, very few yellow cards were ever handed out. And if they if they called a foul, that was it. It was a foul, and and people didn't really surround the referee like we're used to seeing today in twenty twenty. In the thirty fifth minute, it's Karl Heinz Forster who, as he lobs a cross. Bentu is off his line, gets just his fingertips to it to deflect it away, but it falls perfectly for Alofs but his first-time effort sails well over the bar. 37th minute, and it's Voler again. This time he receives from Rumineger, but his shot from about 7 meters away is deflected by a sliding Uriku Gomes, and the deflection goes off the post to Bentu's left. For a corner, Germany regaining control of play now, and they're regaining the territory. Uh, Portugal players are visibly fatiguing, or they're they're winded, and they're playing to get to halftime. You can clearly see that as they're sitting deeper and deeper, just defending cross after cross. 43rd, and we hear the Portuguese fans for the first time in the match chanting Portugal, Portugal, trying to get behind the team. Is they're trying to push this team across across the line into the halftime team room to regroup. And I also noticed here that after that 5-10 minute um, splash uh, of play where Shalana appeared in the middle. And in a more central role and in a distributor role. Shalana for the most part, Portugal's highest profile player at this time. Okay. Um, he was well known not many of the Portuguese players were well known but he was well known and he was really kept in check aside from that little 10 minute span there like I said where he was spraying the ball around and getting his teammates into good positions he went completely missing after that and the, the his teammates the Portuguese side cannot get them cannot get him the ball he was completely neutralized and we would get the whistle for halftime right on on 45 minutes not a second later and we will take a quick break and come back with the second half here on mr portugal if you want to follow the show follow the ptb soccer network on instagram at ptb soccer it's just at ptb soccer and again if you want to get this show ad free go over to ptb soccer on apple podcasts google play uh spotify wherever you get your podcasts if you if you don't have it on your particular player, go to www.anchor.fm forward slash PTB soccer. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to episode four of Mr. Portugal. Welcome back to 1984 match day one here in Strasbourg. And it is West Germany, Portugal. The second half gets underway with Voller and Rumeneger kicking off. As you hear the capacity crowd, the 44,000, the majority of them chanting, Deutschland! Deutschland! And it, but in the 50th minute, it is Louis Jourdan who has a go from distance, but it comes off the wrong part of his foot, and it is high and wide. Portugal start the second half very well, and it's and it becomes clear that it's, it's Portugal starting to take control and they're starting to, to move further up the pitch and to start their play further up the pitch. Germany are making uh, adjustments as, as Portugal are improving here, and you start to hear the Portuguese fans start chanting once again. 55th minute, it's Frasch bringing the bringing down Rudy Voller, in dangerous position, 25 meters from goal. However. Olof's ensuing free kick is just centimeters wide of Bento's left post. Portugal has noticeably pushed up their line of confrontation now forward about 15 to 20 meters even and they're seeing so much more of the ball right now and they have the they have the defending champions pushed back pen deep and in look in in search of solutions. In the 60th it's a nice work in midfield with Thraschko combining well with Jaime Pacheco the two Porto teammates then combine with Carlos Manuel into space he goes down the right channel and the Benfica winger or the Benfica attacker crosses on the ground it's out of the reach of both Brema and Forster but it is just out of the reach of Rui Schurdão and coming in at the back post was the the runner Frashko who came from a very deep position to run to the, ba- the back post, but he just gets there a half stride too late, and danger is avo- averted P- Portugal very close to going ahead 1-0. It is the best play of the match thus far for Portugal. In the 62nd minute, Germany down the left. It's Wolfgang Rolf with the left-footed cross cleared by Lima Pereira, And on the clearance, it comes to Carlos Manuel, who has a beautiful heel pass into space onto the run of João Pinto. And the Porto legend carries the ball about 60 meters before squaring for Souza. But his Porto teammate and national team teammate Souza's shot is blocked by Brema. Portugal delighting their fans right now. They've got everybody on their feet. And if you're hearing any back, <laughs> any back noise right now, I do apologize. That is the sound of a four-year-old that will not go to bed. <laughs> that is my son, very angry about going to bed right now. I don't think you're hearing it, but if you are, my apologies. 62nd minute, and it's Rumanega breaking in this time. He beats two Portuguese players, tries to square for Voller, in the area, but the pass is broken up by Uriku. West Germany will substitute in the 67th minute. And it is a name most of us remember. He's very young here. He's 23 years old. It is Lothar Matthäus stepping onto the pitch, replacing Guido Buchwald. And Matthäus is 23 here, like I said. He would play for the German national team from 1984 until the year 2000 at the age of 39. And now it's Joan there was another I'm sorry, another substitution also for West Germany. They made a double substitution there in the 67th minute as Rudolf Boomer comes on for Wolfgang Rolf. 69th minute Jean Pint presses forward, finds space, and fires, but it's right at Schumacher, who parries it up and over the bar to safety for a corner. Shallana's ensuing corner won by Briegel. And he is fouled by Giordano and bailed out of the situation to end any danger for Die Mein I don't know if I pronounced that right, but that's the German nickname for the German national team. 70th minute and there's loud chance of Portugal, Portugal. The crowd is starting to believe it's the 71st minute though and it is Lothar Mateus. Down the left center channel, he cuts inside onto his right foot and he fires to the near post where an outstretched Manuel Bento is able to get his hand to it and keep it out of the goal and avoid going down a goal to nil in the 71st minute. But in the 75th, it's Portugal answering with some possession combination play. And it's Carlos Manuel with another heel for Frasco who squares for Jean Pacheco. Pacheco goes to Shalana, Shalana back to Carlos Manuel all the way on the right. Now he dances and creates space looking for a teammate. Squares for Frasco, but there's a miscommunication by the Portuguese players. Frasco goes left. The pass goes right. And it is turned over at the edge of the attacking third. But at this, at this stage, late in the match now, as we head into the final quarter hour, and it is West Germany who are the ones in retreat dropping their lines deep and welcoming the Portuguese into their end of the pitch in the 79th minute. The four-man Portuguese coaching staff will finally make a sub. Um, it's a late sub, and I think it's because I can't imagine how they came to a decision that it was time to sub, but it will be. The Benfica defender-slash-midfielder Volozu, 27 years old at this time, subbing on for Porto's Frasco. And it is a like-for-like like switch as, as Volozu goes into midfield in this game. He would be a defender later in his career, and he was he would spend a lot of the 80s playing both defense and midfield. 81st minute, Uh, Portugal are believing, and it's Carlos Manuel into the area. He tries to split the two West German defenders. He goes down, but the referee waves play on. That's the second time uh, Carlos Manuel goes down in the area looking for a penalty. João Pinto in the 83rd with space down the right side, slides the ball, on to the run of Carlos Manuel, who crosses, but there's no Portuguese player in sight as Jordão is looking gassed and fatigued. He's trying to keep up with the play, but the, the striker has worked hard, and he is he is completely gassed. In the 85th, it would be Brema bringing down the exhausted Jordão, and that is going to be it for the Sporting Star he put in a hard day's work as the lone striker and he is replaced by one of the the top, if not the top, goal scorer in the Portuguese league. One of the most prolific goal scorers in the history of the Portuguese league. Porto's Fernand Gomes comes on in the 85th. I think it was a little bit late to make this switch. I thought that. The way the match was going, Portugal looked like they could have gone for the win here. Um, they took a much more conservative approach, even though they were controlling the match. Uh, they could have added Gomes ten minutes earlier and played a quarter of an hour with two strikers, and who knows, perhaps even even notched a goal. But in the eighty seventh, it's Zinpehik at pace with the ball, carrying into the attacking third. He, holds, he stops the play for some reason. He holds up. He does a couple stepovers, and he runs out of ideas and runs right into a brick wall named Andreas Brema. West Germany on the counter in the 88th, and Rudy Voller. He attempts a spectacular overhead kick from the penalty spot, but his shot is wide of the goal. That would be the final opportunity in the match. As at 90 plus one, the Soviet referee will blow his whistle three times for full time. Portuguese fans and bench alike celebrate the point earned against the defending champions. As we see players coming off the pitch, heading into the tunnel, being mobbed by their teammates and being congratulated by the technical staff as they enter the tunnel and head for the locker rooms. And the camera begins to fade to black with the sight of the Portuguese flags waving in the crowd in the background. The fans were satisfied with the performance and with the effort. Portugal's debut match in the final stages of a European championship ends in a nil-nil draw with the defending champion West Germany. My man of the match is Carlos Manuel, and no, it's not because he's from Benfica. I thought he got—he was the one working and finding himself to the ball much more than than Shalana or Jordão. He was able to find himself in situations where he could where he could get the ball to his teammates, and um, I gave an honorable mention to Jean Pacheco. Of course, Jean Pacheco, <laughs> watching him play, this is the first time I really watched him play for an entire ninety minutes, and. Because I know him as the manager that won the league for Boa Vista. But in 1984, he was a midfielder for Futebol Clube de Porto and the Portuguese national team. He put in a great effort. Always in support. Always showing up in support of his fellow midfielders. Always providing balance and always providing coverage for that back pass, that square ball. He was always there. And he did a great job slowing down the German midfield as they tried to penetrate. Um, All in all, Portugal looked quite good considering who they were playing against they played the Germans even and um, if you watched the match and you didn't know anything about either team I think you would have thought that these were two pretty even teams and that either of them could go on to win if, if Germany are the or West Germany excuse me are the defending champions you had to think either of these teams could go on to lift the trophy at the end the other match in group two would be played later that night And it was played in St. Etienne with Nuestros Hermanos Spain drawing 1-1 with fellow debutants Romania. So after match day one, group two, everybody's got one point. Spain and Romania in the two advancing spots for now as they each have a goal scored while Germany and Portugal do not. And... Because there is literally no video that I can find of any kind of news coverage, any kind of audio of this match, other than the the full match replay that I watched courtesy of Footballia. Okay, I watched this match on Footballia. Like I said, the link is in the show notes. The commentary is in German, however, so the only thing I understood the entire match was the players' names, essentially. But all in all, it was a good performance from Port from Portugal. Um, in the next episode, I'll go over the roster a little bit of a little bit deeper. And, um, also, uh, this was the first, like I said, the first match for Portugal at a European finals. And it was the first, first finals appearance for Portugal since they took third place in the 1966 world cup. So you got to put yourself back in that, in those days and, The match was televised in in Portugal um, in color, so it was the first time Portugal went to a final and were televised in color as television sets all over Portugal were tuned to RTP for this match and also a lot of radio dials in the places where people still did not have television. in nineteen eighty four there was a reality for people living in Lisbon Porto, and in the cities as opposed to the people living in the country in the country there was still places with with less amenities let's say i know in in my in my father's village outside the city of caldas de Xinha, right between caldas de Rainha and the town of Obidos. um that not everyone had running water or power yet in this at this time, and not everyone was able to watch football on television, many still accompanied these matches by way of radio and speaking of radio, speaking of uh pop culture, also, as I said earlier, uh the day before this match, Portugal the Portuguese people and um, the music community in Portugal lost one of their own as Antonio Var- Songe passed away from what is perceived and now believed to be complications due to contracting AIDS. Um, he really was one phenomenal and unique performer. If you ever, if you look him up on YouTube and you listen to some of his songs, watch the videos, he, he's a lot like a Portuguese Freddie Mercury. And um, I'm gonna send you away from this episode four. All right, with a song by Antonio Variações. And in the next episode, episode 5, we will move ahead one match day here in 1984. And we will be there for Portugal versus Spain on match day 2. Playing Nuestros Hermanos in group play. And now I will send you away to the sound of Antonio Variações. O Corpoek Paga. All right. Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you hopefully within a week. Um, Viva Portugal. força Portugal. Four years ago today, the champions of Europe. Don't ever forget the date, July the 10th, 2016.
2: Engeres tudo o que te vem à mão O corpo
0: instrumentals. <laughs>